everyone. Welcome to another Crowdlink to Fireside Chat. I'm Aron Lukumov, the host. Thanks for tuning in and listening. On the show, I'm interviewing innovation leaders who are working on big industry disruptive problems from within their large organizations. Uh, my guests have been in the trenches and have lots of practical advice to share about building quality digital products, staying agile, and fostering innovation culture from within an enterprise. This is episode number eight, and I'm here with Anusha, to talk about prioritizing innovation at Shopify and much more. Anusha is a director of product at Shopify. She leads the internationally distributed growth R&D team, focusing on building products which engage and nurture entrepreneurs. Prior to Shopify, she led product excellence at Global Payments, one of the top payment processors in the world, and held previous roles in innovation and strategic alliances at BlackBerry. Anusha lives in Toronto with her family and is usually found enjoying a cup of green tea. Thank you for joining us, Anusha. Thank you so much for having me. Um, first question I have so that uh, the listeners can um, get to know you a little better. Would you mind kind of starting off by telling us a little bit about your role at Shopify? What your team looks like? What are you working on? and Where are you based now? Sure. So um, we have a fully stacked team um, on the growth R&D team at Shopify. So that means that we have developers, designers, um, product folks. We work really closely with data and user research that are embedded with us. Um, internationally distributed. So we have um, an America's team, an EMEA team, and an APAC team. And we're really looking at problem spaces that are um, focused around commerce and looking at how we solve pain points for entrepreneurs by building products that are um, really adjacent to the core Shopify product. So we think entrepreneurship is really hard. We want to do whatever we can to help um, entrepreneurs launch uh, their businesses and be successful. And that means that there are things that might be particular to specific locales or regions um, that we, we might build as well as things that are universally appealing. And um, you've mentioned this before uh, in, in different conversations we've had over the past, but I want to kind of touch upon it. You, you mentioned that your team, even though you're working on like growth R&D initiatives, isn't actually an innovation team at Shopify and that Shopify is an innovation company. So yeah, can you tell us a little bit, but a bit more about that and how do you think Shopify was able to kind of build this culture before and while, you're, while you've been there? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think at Shopify, we have a great sense of trust. Like the culture is really built around high trust, high empathy and high care. It's how um, we treat each other and it's how we treat um, our entrepreneurs and our merchants as well. Um, and that also means that there's a lot of autonomy. And so we want everyone to have ownership and autonomy of what they're doing. And that also means that you're, you're gonna put your um, best foot forward and um, solve the problems in the way that makes the most sense. Um, and so innovation is something uh, that is built into the DNA of the culture because everyone is really thinking about the best ways possible to solve solutions. Um, and I think that really originates from that high trust culture that we have with ourselves and, and with our um, entrepreneur audience as well. And how, um, I, I know you haven't been there since the beginning, but like how much of that do you think came from the leadership team? How much did it come from the, the management team that, um, you know, is following kind of the direction of, 
of of the CEO or of like of of the C-suite. Um, how do you think that kind of came to be like over time and has still kind of persevered, even though it's a large enterprise now in many ways? Yeah, it it is a large company. There's uh, seven thousand plus um, employees distributed internationally now. I I do think that it started with Toby and the uh, who's our CEO, and the company started with Toby, you know, fifteen years ago. Um, but culture evolves as the community and the organization evolves. So the culture that was part of Shopify 15 years ago, 10 years ago, even last year, is different than, than what we have today. And that's because it's just a reflection of who's in the organization and how they're contributing to the team. Uh, we really prioritize putting the company first, um, putting the team first over putting yourself first. And I think that we've been able to maintain that culture of innovation and that culture of trust because that's what we've prioritized. Um, and I think that if you're prioritizing something, if you're intentional about something, uh, then everyone always has it top of mind. And that's how um, we've been able to maintain that, that similar culture, even though the organization has exploded in terms of growth, there's way more people here now than there was 15 years ago. Um, actually, I joined a year ago, and I think since I've joined, um, Shopify has grown by like 35%. So 35% of the people that are at Shopify now started in the past year. Um, so it's really tremendous growth. Yeah. Yeah. Especially I think now in this last year, big shift um, with a lot of businesses that were predominantly physical or retail based had to move their businesses to online and Shopify, I think is a big player in that, in that dynamic. So I'm sure yeah. there was, there's been a lot of growth in the company just also from a revenue standpoint or from like a, a user-based standpoint. Um, is there is there maybe like, I know you've, you work on a bunch of different products. Is there one or two maybe you could talk about where an idea came from outside your, your own team or maybe from, you know, other areas of, of, uh, of Shopify that, you know, you looked at you and then you kind of went and built one around? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we believe that everyone at Shopify can be a product champion, right? The ideas for what we build uh, don't just come from product management. They don't just come from engineers either. It could be anyone in any craft within Shopify. Uh, one of the ways that we really promote that is through hack days. We have hack days um, a couple times a year. Uh, we actually have one coming up um, in a couple days and Hack days is a time where for three days, the, the uh, entire company where possible will pause and work on something that they're interested in doing. Um, there are quite a few projects that are already lined up. Anyone can initiate a project and anyone can join any project. And a lot of those projects that were built during hack days um, have actually gone on to ship um, and provide value to our merchants. One of, um, um, one example is a video maker. So the video maker started as a Hack Days project a couple years ago. Um, actually, I think it was two years ago. It was an idea that somebody had to just help entrepreneurs with their marketing and branding to be able to create uh, short videos. Uh, 
It uh, went through a first hack days, um, got some great traction, a lot of people were interested, wasn't quite in a shippable state, went through a second hack days, um, kind of evolved a little bit, honed in on the value proposition a little bit more. Um, and uh, that's when I saw it and said, yeah, this looks fantastic. This is absolutely something that can help our entrepreneurs. Um, and it's a project where uh, we then worked with you and your team uh, to help us get it to a place where we could launch it to our entrepreneurs. Nice, thanks. That's a great example. <laughs> thanks, thanks for <laughs> mentioning this. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, can you, um, let's kind of step back a second. So I know you, you as, as I said before, you've kind of worked and built different products, but how do you, aside from this hack day scenario, um, you come up with a lot of timely and useful products that are made available to the entrepreneurs to help them make their business better or e-commerce better in, in, in general. You know, for the, for the listeners that are gonna be tuning in, you know, sometimes finding the data and the research behind some of these ideas is sometimes difficult for some people. Yep. Um, where do you go to find that initial preliminary data set um, that you look at and you analyze and okay, like, you know, this has some you know, possibility, let's kind of go deeper. So like from like a research, from a data standpoint, how do you find the data? Where do you go for it? What tools do you use? Um, can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, um, there's a, um, a cultural value at Shopify um, called Merchant Obsession. Um, we really believe that no matter what role you're in at Shopify, no, no matter if you're a, a VP or at any level, um, we want you to be merchant obsessed. We want you to be as close to the user um, as possible. We have a lot of programs at Shopify where you can listen in on support calls um, so that you can hear firsthand uh, what, what merchants are having concerns with. And so we have a lot of data from our own audience. They're telling us directly firsthand what they're struggling with what they need help with, what they don't understand. Um, and so that's the first place that we go to get a sense of what are the things that we can help with? What are the pain points that we can solve for? Uh, and that really informs our decision about what we prioritize. So um, our audience knows best their journey. There's a million different variations of the entrepreneurial journey, but there are certainly some, some common areas that bubble up to the top that people struggle with. And, and so those are the areas that we prioritize. So that's, it's really interesting. I mean, listening to your customers is like rule number one for business, right? Or entrepreneurs in general. Yeah. So like a, that's a good primary data source. Are yeah. there any like in your team also, like, cause I know you don't sometimes touch the merchant side or, you know, focus specifically on the e-commerce facilities, but more like holistically for like an entrepreneur, how to build better tools for them, whether they're in the Shopify ecosystem or they're not, right. um, any kind of other, uh, research tools or secondary data sources that you go to to find new ideas or opportunities to explore? Yep. Um, so we have user research teams that will go out and conduct surveys. We have a market insights team um, that's looking not only at our audience, but any other research that's available. Um, we're always looking at what are the trends, um, especially things that might be more local specific. So live e-commerce is a great one that's um, quite a big trend in the Asia Pacific area, not as well known in the Americas area, but we have people 
on our teams that are located internationally that are, are really plugged into what's going on um, in their countries and their regions as well. And they're bringing that information back to us. Uh, we're uh, looking at everything that's going on in the industry from our competitors, from um, folks that are partners that have complementary services. So uh, it is definitely a mix of um, first party and third party research that we're incorporating in. Uh, certainly the highest value that we place is on the direct feedback that we get from entrepreneurs. And you made a good point. Not, um, we're not just talking to Shopify customers, like we're not just talking to merchants that are on our platform. We really wanna know from all entrepreneurs what their experience is and, and how we can help them holistically. Cool, let's go a little bit deeper on that. Um, every product development cycle has different stages, right? So there's like the ideation, the validation, the POC, the MVP production, right? Um, can you walk us through, because I'm sure your top of funnel is pretty vast. So yeah. like, <laughs> how do you, how do you segment down everything into like each step of the funnel towards um, actually a production build eventually? Um, what does that ratio look like? How much time is spent between each stage? Yep, I don't think there's a formula per se, um, but, but one of the things that we have found works really well is that there are multiple ways to test a hypothesis before you even build anything. Um, and I think that's one area that a lot of traditional um, product teams um, overlook. So we're always thinking about how do we prove that this is truly a problem? How do we prove that what we're thinking about is potentially a solution that could solve this problem for our audience? And how do we do that um, in some manner other than building something? Because building something, maintaining something um, can be quite expensive. Um, and there's a lot of different ways that we can do it. So, for example, there are blog, blog articles that we can have on the topic to gauge interest in this topic for our audience. Um, there are newsletters that uh, we can put out that are focused around a specific theme and we can see who's interested in that. Uh, there are surveys that we might run. There are very quick experiments that we can do. So really um, quality, but thin slices of the problem that we're trying to solve or the solution that we're trying to present. And we can put that out into the marketplace um, and, and see what the response is to that and then iterate from there. So when we think about an iterative process, when we think about an MVP, we're really honing in on what is the very thinnest slice um, that we can take that will give us valuable feedback. So we have products, um, that we've launched that were literally one week from ideation to launch. Really simple things, kind of simple one-page web application, um, but it was to get something out there that one, could provide value to our audience, two, would give us valuable feedback um, about that problem space. And then we have things that are much longer built, but, but we always still hone in on that MVP. Um, so we might take a month to put something together and get it out there, look at the feedback, and then we iterate on it over time. And what's like a, a quick litmus test or like what, what do you look at as like a decision maker when you find that sliver of like a problem statement, you issue out a survey or uh, that newsletter approach or, or whatever it is, and you get the results. And then how do you decide at that time, 
what is like the threshold to move it to then, okay, let's do some solution generation around it. Um, it can depend on a lot of things. It can depend on um, like, it's all down to prioritization, right? And I think that's the thing that a lot of teams struggle with. Like, how do we prioritize this thing that we know is going to be valuable to our audience when there's a thousand other things that are also going to be valuable? Um, and that's really hard. And uh, we've certainly made decisions that have been wrong. Like we've certainly failed um, at things and I think that's okay. We just learn every time. What we try to do is we try to um, have themes that we're focused on. So those could be problem spaces such as mobile. We know that we wanna help mobile entrepreneurs. And so if uh, something falls into that space, then it'll get prioritized. And if it doesn't fall into that space, then because we don't have that deep domain knowledge, um, it might get put on the back burner for later on. Similarly, we need to think about how we prioritize internationally. Uh, there are opportunities for how we help uh, merchants in France. Um, and some of those opportunities may never be as big as the opportunities that we have for merchants in China. So we have to think about how do we carve out our team and the focus areas and the themes that they're aligned with um, so that we are able to prioritize things that at a global scale might have a smaller impact, um, but, but continue to have an impact in you know, countries that we have prioritized. Uh, I don't know that we figured out the right formula yet. I think it's a constant evolution because the areas that we're focused on continue to evolve. Our audience continues to evolve, uh, but as long as there are things that fall into a theme um, then I think you're always going to learn things. You're always going to dive deeper and you're really going to get that nice, um, we like to say like there's a T-shape. So you not only have that broad um, perspective, but you can dive really deep uh, into, into a domain and gain a lot of knowledge and really get familiar with the audience in that space. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Um, with, the pro with the ideas that make it past like, you know, the problem and the solution generation, maybe like an MVP, um, at what stage do you then, okay, like, then decide, okay, this product needs its own life cycle and needs like a team and budget around it. And then also how, how do you go about presenting to like whatever stakeholders you need to go to around like, here are the needs, here's the budget that I need. Like, what does that look like? I think it looks very different at Shopify than at certainly other companies that I've worked at and other companies that I'm familiar with. Um, we really walk that walk of folks having full autonomy at Shopify. If you feel that this is the best decision, then you should move forward. Um, now, of course, if it was gonna cost $10 million, that's, that's a different discussion to be had. Um, but when, we, when I say we really walk that walk of autonomy, um, I, I think that's a really important message because what it means is that the, the teams have full ownership over how they try to solve for a problem space. And as long as everything lines up into Shopify's mission, which is to make commerce better for everyone, um, then they have autonomy and ownership to do the things that they feel make the most sense for our audience. Um, and that's a little bit of a different process than at other companies where perhaps um, a product manager has full say over what the team is gonna work on. Um, or at other companies where every decision has to go back to leadership to get approval. Um, there is a different 
process at Shopify where we really do trust everyone. Um, and so folks are aligned around problem spaces, themes, and then they have autonomy to, to make those decisions amongst themselves. And I think that works really well because what we start to see is that all of the crafts, so we think of crafts as like engineers, designers, product managers, data scientists, operations folks, um, they're all on equal footing and making joint collaborative decisions about what the roadmap will look like. Okay, okay, cool, cool. Um, uh, regarding the global kind of mandate, uh, that yeah. you have or Shopify has with customers literally scattered across the globe. What are some specific challenges that you face when trying to find some products or solutions for those markets? And how do you overcome those challenges? Um, so it was about three years ago that, um, three, three and a half years ago that a specific team was built out to focus on international. We had really been North American focused um, up until that time. And then we started realizing that we have entrepreneurs that are in different countries around the world, um, which was a surprise to us because we hadn't been building for them. Um, and so around three and a half years ago, a team formed to really focus on building product market fit for specific regions. Okay. What we see is that the audience is very unique. Um, even if you're just saying, oh, Europe, well, within Europe, the audience is very unique between Spain and Italy and France and Germany and so on. Um, and so prioritization becomes really hard as well. Um, we need to think about where do we have the best product market fit? Um, where do we have the best alignment for um, the solution that we offer and the types of solution services that our audience is looking for? Um, and then we also, uh, focus on building what 80% of our audience will need. And we have a really robust um, developer ecosystem, you know, partner ecosystem that can help build those specific things uh, that uh, other segments of the entrepreneurial community need that aren't built into our platform already. It's, um, it's really not straightforward though. Like, uh, should we build this thing for France? Or should we build this thing for, for Germany? Um, those are constant conversations that we're having, really evaluating what does the local audience um, value? Uh, what is their synergy with what our platform offers? Um, and those conversations occur on a regular basis as we're looking at a global audience. So it's like, a, it's a very tough, tough mandate, I think, because each audience, as you said, is totally different with different, uh, but, but it's interesting that 80% approach that, that you take. If, if we can solve that for that 80% market, we should consider it. Um, what about some metrics? So like, you know, we talked about like what the funnel looks like, but then how do you kind of, how do you define KPIs for like success criteria? Um, is it like quantitative? Is it qualitative? What, what are some like examples? Is it like, um, number of new signups or is it something like you know maybe a bit broader uh how do you how do you look at those and how do you define them yeah uh, also a tough question um it depends on a team by team basis so specifically for our team for 
for certain problem spaces. Like we're all aligning into um, the North Star that's been set out within our greater division. Um, and, and different divisions might, might have different North Stars. So it could be net active merchants. It could be MRR, it could be GMB. Um, really depends on what the divisions want to focus on. But having that North Star really is um, that guiding light for, for all the teams that fall within that organization. And so we're always looking at um, how do our KPIs align up to that North Star. Um, and if they don't, then maybe that's not the right problem space for us to tackle, or maybe there's a different way for us to slice that problem space so that we are aligning to uh, that North Star. But at the end of the day, everything continues to align to Shopify's mission, which okay. is to make commerce better for everyone. And so everything is distilled down from that top mission. What, what's like an example of a, a North Star metric that you have? You're asking for like the secret sauce here, I think. No, <laughs> uh, there, there, there's, uh, there's different ones. And so an example might be net active merchants. Uh, an example might be uh, monthly recurring revenue. An example might be uh, GMV from the merchants processing on our platform. Uh, an example might be a uh, number of developer apps that are in use on our platform. So a lot of different North stars and uh, depends on really the, the division and, and what they're trying to optimize for. Mm -hmm. That's good insight. Thank you, Anusha. Um, got a couple other questions. Um, when, we, when we chatted before, you mentioned about Shopify's treasure chest of, yeah. uh, of ideas. <laughs> and we talked about like the, the, hack, the hack days that you have and then some other ways that you um, get the primary and and secondary data. Yeah. Um, what, who owns this, tre this treasure chest? Like who manages it? How do you get people to participate? Is it like, I don't know, a giant Trello board that people dump ideas into constantly? Yeah. Like, uh, and, and how do you kind of, um, yeah, sustain it or maintain it on a monthly, weekly basis? Yeah. It's it's not it's not a physical treasure chest, so I hope nobody comes banging on my door looking for like a chest of gold. gold. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's nothing at the end of the rainbow here. Um, it is it is a um, uh, figurative treasure chest, and and it contains ideas, like you said. Um, there are so many talented people at Shopify, and everyone has amazing ideas. Um, when we talk about being merchant obsessed. Um, uh, there's a lot of folks that are merchants themselves at Shopify. And so they really have that first-hand experience of what it means to be an entrepreneur. And so they're really able to provide great insight into what are the things that they struggled with that other entrepreneurs might be struggling with as well. So uh, really what we're doing is we're, we're always just trying to foster a culture um, of encouraging people to share ideas, encouraging people to share concerns um, about the platform or the offering that we have. It's really about having an open dialogue. Um, and because we have to prioritize things, like at the end of the day, every organization has to do that. It's not always the right time to work on all of the ideas that are presented. Uh, it doesn't mean that those ideas aren't valuable. So we try to make sure that we um, keep track of them. Right now, it is uh, a very 
non-high tech solution of a spreadsheet. So we have a spreadsheet of all of the ideas, who presented the idea, what was some additional context behind it. Maybe they had some documents that they put together or some um, other assets that go along with it. And we're constantly revisiting it. Uh, we're continuously adding to it. Uh, but most importantly, we're, we always encourage that culture of um, sharing feedback, which is really important. Um, and also, we're always encouraging folks to have more firsthand experience with merchants or with entrepreneurship themselves. Um, it's something that I don't think is unique um, to our team. Certainly something we're very proud of that we really do encourage folks to be product champions. Um, but it's something that's um, quite special about the culture at Shopify as well, is that we do want everyone to be invested, which means we do want everyone to provide feedback and ideas. And Hack Days is certainly a great example of that, where no matter what idea you have, you're welcome to work on it. You're welcome to gather a team to work on it. And a lot of those things will, will actually get released um, to, to um, the public domain. Okay. okay. Uh, regarding if you have an idea that you want to submit to the treasure chest as well, you're welcome. It's not just for people at Shopify. Is there, a, is there like a public online URL I could submit it for? <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll just start a Google Doc and then, uh, yeah, I'll send it up to you and your team. Okay, cool. Um, I want to talk a bit more about prioritization and more it's like for you as a leader, because I know you manage like 25, 30 plus different products. Um, yeah. How do you, as like an operational leader of this team, kind of manage that type of product load? Yeah. And what what do you wish you knew now that you could tell your younger self about this task? So many things. <laughs> um, so the only the only way I think that I'm able to manage it well is um, by having a really talented team that I trust. So we have product managers that are focused on specific problem spaces. Um, they are expected to be experts in that problem space. So they're really exhibiting like that T-shape where they're diving really deep into that um, domain. Um, and, and that's how you scale out, right? Is um, if it was just me making all of these decisions, that would be a very poor experience for our audience because I'm obviously not as smart as um, the collective knowledge and expertise of the team. And, and similarly, we're pulling from the collective knowledge and expertise of all of Shopify and our audience as well. So the way that we kind of manage the portfolio is, is that we carve out specific problem spaces, products fall naturally into those problem spaces, and the teams that are working on those problem spaces have full autonomy to decide what direction they go in. Um, I will provide uh, some feedback, some guidance based on the experiences that I have, things that they might want to try, um, but really trust them to run with it, to experiment, to work off of the results that they're seeing, to go with their gut when there is no research. Um, and it's a very iterative process that each of the teams takes. Okay. And with, with this team that you have, um, I know it's cross-functional in nature with different aspects design you know growth marketers engineers how do you kind of manage the dynamic between them like who do you interact with the most is it your product managers what does that look like like yeah. the, the cadence a checkpoint it, it's a good question so um i've led cross-functional teams for for quite a while and i think 
that model works really well when you need to run fast, right? So when you have very defined problem spaces and you need to run fast, a cross-functional sort of single-threaded model works really well um, for, for that type of experience. When you're looking at things that are longer term projects, um, deeper infrastructure related things where there's a lot of high dependency, um, a matrix model works a little bit better. Specifically for me, based on the space that we're operating in um, and having cross-functional folks from different crafts reporting into me, um, that's something that, that I've done previously as well. What I find works really well is when the teams are aligned to the outcome that they're trying to achieve. And so we talk about problem spaces and they're aligned to problem spaces, but really they're focused on an outcome. And the outcome might be to increase the number of um, you know, entrepreneurs that we have in France by 10x, whatever it may be. And when folks from multiple disciplines are aligned on an outcome, amazing things will happen. Uh, we really expect them to work together in what we call a multi-factor model. Um, so they're, they're really bringing their expertise from their crafts, bringing their perspectives, um, and together they're defining what that roadmap is. And so I don't find myself interacting more with one craft versus the other, because uh, I think they're all equally important. You need data to be able to make good decisions. You need uh, design uh, research. You need product managers. You need developers. Like You need all of those to be able to make decisions and to be able to execute well. Um, and so the way that I typically manage my time is to work with teams to focus on the outcomes that they're trying to achieve and to help them see if they're tracking towards it. Um, I was a developer way back when, when I started. So engineering is close to my heart. I've been in product for a long time. So product is close to my heart as well. But at the end of the day, you need all the crafts to come together to be able to achieve something special. Well, that's, uh, that's, um, it's kind of unique actually. Um, I really like the perspective of working on outcomes and getting everybody aligned together. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, you've been at Shopify, I think, an, enough of a time to see some cool ideas or innovation come from, uh, from internally. What is like the most unlikely place that you've seen an idea or an innovation come from? Internally? Um, internally. I, I don't think there's any unlikely place. Like the culture at Shopify is that we expect everyone to be invested um, in this space. And so... Um, just to give you an example of, of how much folks really walk that walk uh, is earlier this year when um, COVID, you know, shut down, um, we shut down our offices due to COVID, everyone pivoted. We had a hack day soon, soon after to really encourage everyone to think about how we can improve working digitally with each other. Um, and so there was a lot of ideas that came through, like new whiteboards, uh, all kinds of stuff. Um, and we have an amazing culinary staff that was taking care of all of the meals when we had offices. And they also pivoted and put together some amazing ideas for cooking from home, recipe books, videos. Um, and it's not something that you would typically expect, right? I think when folks traditionally think of hack days or of innovation, they're thinking about things that come from engineers or product managers. Um, but 
to have every single craft truly invested in this audience and invested in making entrepreneurship better um, means that we're seeing ideas that come from everywhere. Uh, and, and I love, love that in this culture, we encourage that and that everyone truly um, does feel empowered to put forward ideas um, and that they have a space to work with engineers on seeing these things um, come through. And I think that's where you really get to achieve scale. And that's where the whole company gets to be innovative. And there's not just one team that's carved out to do it. Really cool. I, I like that ability to um, <clears throat> change focus and create the recipes. I think that's, that's cool. I mean, everybody's at home. so. <laughs> yeah. And we had, we had a, a, a number of folks that ate all of their meals at the office. Like, I'll raise my hand. I did as well. The food was <laughs> phenomenal. Um, and I'm not a good cook. And there's a bunch of people that never had to cook at home. And now all of a sudden, you know, in March, everyone went home and had to figure out how to do groceries and how to cook and how do you put stuff together? And the culinary team did an amazing job of guiding us through that. Um, next couple of questions I have is more like a personal side. Um, innovation is tough. It's tough to manage people. It's tough to stay at the forefront of like the mindset of uh, driving change. How, I mean, what can you kind of pass down or what advice can you give to other innovation leaders in terms of how to keep that mindset um, competitive? Um, kind of how do you motivate yourself to stay at the forefront of what you do? I think um, the, the previous example about culinary staff pivoting uh, is, is perhaps something that um, is important for people to remember, is that innovation can come from anywhere um, and it's really about being open to it, being open to discussions from any part of the organization or any part of your um, kind of external partner community as well. Um, it's easy to get jaded, I think. Typically when you're in an R&D team, you're used to working with R&D folks. And so that's kind of what becomes more of the norm. But it's really important to embrace diverse perspectives and diversity can come in many different forms. And, and I think the part that's important to remember for um, R&D teams and engineering teams is to embrace that diversity from other crafts as well. Uh, that's something that uh, we have to remind ourselves all the time. And the best way to do it is really to exercise that muscle of collaborating with different crafts all the time. So talking to the culinary team about what's going on in their world, talking to support about what's going on in their world. And the more that you exercise that muscle, it becomes more of a natural instinct. Are there any kind of like, <clears throat> any other um, ways for you to learn about the field, perfect your craft? Um, who do you kind of turn to for advice as well when you're kind of struggling to uh, figure out a specific problem? Yeah, it's sort of like we're in this digital age where there's an overwhelming amount of information, right? Um, there is a lot of places where different people can learn based on kind of what their style is. So there's books that you can read. There's a ton of information um, on different websites, on Reddit, um, on social. Uh, there's also uh, certainly with Shopify, there's a lot of great mentors um, that I have here, people that... Um, don't have the same background as me, but have a lot of interesting perspective on things. For me personally, my personal style of learning 
is by talking to people. I'm, I'm more likely to retain something if I hear it and discuss it in a conversation with someone versus reading it in an article. Um, but that's my personal style. So I tend to do a lot of coffee chats with people um, in the organization, folks that I've never met. I might see their name in a Slack channel or something, be like, oh, that sounds interesting. I want to connect with them. Um, people that are from different crafts and so on. That works really well for me. There are folks on my team that um, aren't as uh, keen on having those those one-on-ones and uh, might do less of that, but might do more uh, reading online, they might do more uh, experimenting with things. So I think everyone has their own personal style, but it's about two things. One is like being open um, to it. Second is really exercising that muscle and whatever works for you works for you, but you have to exercise that muscle regularly. Okay, fantastic, fantastic. Um, a couple more questions, Anusha. Um, can you share uh, some- Shoe size or something. Now you said personal questions. No, 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 I won't go that, that, that um, Can you share any um, current and progress or, you know, anything innovative that you're kind of currently working on on a new project that came from the treasure chest or anything just cool that you want to share that you're currently creating? Yeah, I mean, I think that everything uh, that we do, we hope is, is an innovative solution um, for, for our entrepreneurs. Um, one of the spaces that we've been looking into is live e-commerce. Um, I think I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier too. Live e-commerce is a trend that's really big in Asia Pac. Um, it's not as big in North America. Um, it's relatively well known in India as well. So that's an area that we find really interesting. Um, that uh, what is live commerce? Maybe for the people who don't know. Oh yeah, thank you. Uh, so live e-commerce is where um, folks are selling things live um, through uh, social. So uh, uh, Instagram has, there's an opportunity to do this to Instagram. There's a lot of um, great applications uh, in the Asia Pacific area where you can do this. So you're watching someone kind of demo a product and then you have an opportunity to buy it live in real time. It's a little bit like QVC on TV, but on um, your mobile phone or um, on, on your, a website. So that part is really interesting, that kind of live real time aspect of it. Um, so we're thinking about that and, and what does that mean? Video, when you think about video, video commerce, um, there's a lot of technical considerations around it just in terms of bandwidth and so on, as well as like the experience of it. So that's an interesting space for us and something that we're thinking a little bit more about. I'm not thinking more about that one, it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, I always love also um, ending these type of chats with uh, some quick fire kind of questions that are like, hopefully we get some good golden nuggets from you. So they're one-liner kind of answers, one-liner questions, one-liner answers. Um, so the first one is, um, what is something innovation leaders should stop doing as of tomorrow? What is something innovation leaders should uh, stop doing? Mm. It's easier to say what they should start doing or what they should continue That's doing. That's the next question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, uh, so I, I think 
I'll, I'll re rephrase it maybe because I think the start and the stop go well together. So what is something that an innovation leader should start doing? And I think uh, that is to, to be open-minded to different perspectives. Mm -hmm. So the only way that we get to see things that are different than our lived experience is by being open to different perspectives. I know you said quick fire answer. So I was gonna dive into it, I'll just stop there. No, so having a different perspective, a mindset, being more open, right? Being open to um, other people's perspectives and mindsets. And that can be different crafts, different backgrounds, different countries, whatever it might be. I think different comes in many forms and it's just about being open um, to those perspectives. Okay. And um, any, any tips or tricks about, I mean, you mentioned some really great ones already, but around how to sharpen that kind of mindset a bit more um, about A as being as an innovation leader like yourself or somebody who's going into those kind of like ranks. It's gonna be their first, first opportunity to work in innovation. Like what, what would you recommend for them to then maybe start doing? We have um, a cultural value at Shopify that is Thrive on Change. And I think that that applies at an organizational level as well as on a personal level, regardless of what stage of your career you're in. Um, I think it's really important to not be fearful mm -hmm. of change um, and to embrace it where it makes sense and, and to evolve with it. So it doesn't matter if it's your first day being a product manager somewhere or like your you know, second decade being a product manager or an engineer somewhere, things are always changing in our world. Um, so uh, try to be open to the change, embrace it, and really thrive on it. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's, I, I really like that. Um, last one is, um, what is the most interesting digital trend that you see in your industry that you really think people should start paying attention to? So... I think like with all the information that's out there right now, there's there's nothing surprising in terms of technology trends, right? We've been talking about AR and VR for a long time. We've been talking about QR codes for a long time. We've been talking about mobile for a long time. So those are all things that will um, become more a part of the social norm, like as and when it makes sense. Uh, to me, the thing that's most exciting is uh, situational changes that impact behavioral change, right? So this year has been a great example of that. Out of left field, we've seen the need for uh, more and more folks to go online to maintain um, their business. We've seen more and more people embrace grocery shopping online. Um, and, and those are all things that are behavioral changes that kind of came on mass, which have driven a lot of change um, in, in our technologies and in our solutions. Those are the things that are surprising. Um, and those are the things that I think you can't necessarily foresee. And I'm, I'm curious uh, to see what else might be coming down the way. Um, our CEO, Toby, said something really interesting. There are weeks where decades happen. And I think that's very true of this year. Behaviors that might have evolved over decades um, were forced you know, to, to evolve over weeks earlier this year. Um, those are the things that come out of left field that uh, you can't plan for. I know, 100%. And hopefully uh, next year when hopefully things go back to normal or maybe it'll take more time, we'll see what 
what's going to be the next thing that comes yeah. through. So. Yeah, exactly. That That's the amazing thing about being in technology is you have no idea what might come forward. And uh, this year has been a year of surprises um, due to really tragic circumstances. Um, and next year is going to be a different year as well. And who knows what might come of it. So it's being being open to it, um, thriving on change. And that's where that's where the, the fun and the interesting things happen. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Well, this was amazing, Anusha. Um, thank you so much for the great answers, the insight, the knowledge that you've shared, I'm sure um, our listeners are going to really love it. It's a very fresh perspective that you have, but that also Shopify carries in their value. So thank you so much for your time. And um, for the listeners, tune in next time to hear more uh, innovation professionals share their insights on our YouTube channel. So uh, thanks again, Anusha. It was great. It was great having you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It was great to chat.